Roger Williams University is hosting a crisis management seminar on May 3rd at their Providence campus. Crises, whether a natural disaster, cyber attack, or financial instability, can have severe repercussions if not handled properly. This is where crisis management plays a pivotal role. Join Roger Williams' MBA students and expert speakers to learn how to prepare for the unexpected. The program is totally free and open to the public. You can register online at rwu.edu slash events slash crisis management symposium. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into Bartholomew Town's continuing coverage of the impact of COVID-19 here in Rhode Island. I'm Bill Bartholomew. On this episode, a conversation with Kathy Clodier and Mike Chia of the Dorcas International Institute of Rhode Island on significant gaps in communication by Rhode Island's administration when it comes to reaching Rhode Island's vast diversity of ethnic communities. Well, let's get right into the, the thick of the conversation here, which is that we've heard a lot about testing. We've heard a lot about outreach. We obviously have daily press conferences with the governor, but one area that's been specifically one area that's been kind of overlooked is really mobilizing and reaching out to the vast uh, majority of languages other than Portuguese, Spanish, English, and American Sign Language. Right. Of course, here in some of these zip codes that are most impacted, many people are either don't speak English at all or, or Spanish, Portuguese, or American Sign Language, and they're not getting the information that they need. And as a result, we're overlooking a huge portion of the susceptible population. As a result, this may render much of the data inaccurate. So Dorcas is certainly on the front lines of, of this on a regular basis. I guess let's get into your perspective on where we're at and what needs to be done to accommodate the many, many Rhode Islanders that are not being reached in this communication strategy by the governor's office. Yeah, it's um, so one of the things, um, so what we've had to do is to actually um, go out into the community and um, we have some um, community health workers who are trained, um, they're former refugees who've been trained um, as certified community health workers, uh, but they can not only just translate language, but translate the cultural implications of of the information they're sharing. And so we've deployed our community health workers out to um, their ethnic communities in order to share uh, both information about um, um, uh, the social distancing and the, and the, um, um, the, hand washing and the, you know, how to protect yourself against the virus and then what to do if you, uh, if you do have symptoms and where to go. Um, so, and we've also been trying to um, translate as many materials as we can create some videos, uh, multilingual videos that we share, but our website and our social media isn't necessarily where um, the community comes, right? It's mm-hmm. just, I'd like to think we're popular, but we're, um, so we've reached out to our nonprofit network to let them know as well that uh, we will translate any of their materials into however many languages they need for free, um, as long as it's COVID-19 related, um, basically, which was kind of our way of saying, we can't hold all the information, but you know who you, you know what you want people to know about what your services are. So we're letting folks know that um, we're doing that as well for the nonprofit community. But what I think we found most effective is um, 
reaching out to communities um, by people that they trust. Um, so uh, some of the ethnic um, nonprofit organizations, ethnic community nonprofit organizations, or others um, who have uh, leadership roles within the community, we find that if we can uh, arm them with information, um, then uh, their best their best to get it out. They know who needs it, and they also have some respect within the community as being trustworthy. Um, but it's it's hard. It's um, it's um, time and effort, and it's actually getting out. It's not sitting on the phone. Um, we find it very difficult to get a hold of folks um, by virtue of telephone unless it's actually coming from our office. Um, but if people are calling. So, um, so that wasn't a very good answer to your question. That was a question. great answer, actually. Yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome answer. Yeah, yeah. What is What have you heard back from some of these community leaders about the once that information is delivered by a trusted source, does that change the perspective of many people who have maybe been left out of the conversation prior to that, that community leader bringing the news to them? Uh, you know, what it's actually done, frankly, is, you know how they say ignorance is bliss? Yeah. Um, it's actually frightened people more. Um, and that the fear is really, um, and, and again, many of, many of the folks have um, come from difficult circumstances. If they're refugees, they fled, you know, all kinds of trauma and bad circumstances. Um, but there was a quote that uh, one of our community health workers shared with us that, um, um, that, um, the whole time that they were in their home country um, in the middle of war, they could see the enemy. And this is um, um, the, the fear was coming from the fact that they couldn't see the enemy, that this was an invisible enemy that they were that they were uh, needing to fight. And, and that left them feeling much more helpless um, than when they could. And I just thought that was fascinating when you, I mean, I think we've all thought that like who, who on the street is carrying the virus and how am I going to, um, but it was, um, uh, I do think it, it created, uh, fear, um, much more than reassurance. Mm. Um, but I think we all had to process that. So when we heard, we maybe heard earlier, but, uh, we had to go through that same process ourselves. It's almost like, yeah, this cycle of, experience that we've gone through when that that first when, when many people first heard about the the, the virus emerging in, in Wuhan and then expanding throughout Southeast Asia and then all of a sudden it's in Italy and in Spain and then next thing you know the governor calls a press conference on a Sunday morning and guess what it's here in East Providence or Pawtucket whatever it was mm-hmm. that that all of a sudden gave Rhode Islanders, I guess, writ large, a chance to pause and reflect and say, wow, you know, this is an invisible enemy and, and how do we deal with this besides, you know, even before really the idea of masks and, and so on and so forth, right, you know, right, right. but there are plenty of people who are now two months into this experience, just getting the, their, their first um, impressions of what's happening. And <laughs> as a result, my sense is that many of the, the those who may have been exposed to the virus literally are now just getting that information. And in terms of testing and, and other data points, it's hard to evaluate what's going on because we're two months behind in many communities that are simultaneously amongst the most vulnerable because of their pre-existing 
living condition or the, the nature of the beast here in society. So it's a big problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And then there's a whole group of folks who uh, don't have uh, health insurance or don't feel like they have access to health care. So even when they were sick, they weren't necessarily thinking that they, um, they had anywhere where they could go with that. So I, I agree with you. I think our numbers are going to be, um, and I, I'd say that across the country, the numbers are going to be much higher actual numbers will be much higher than we've ever been able to track. I think so too. I mean, we're seeing the hospitalization rate expanded going retroactively to March 15th. The the Department of Health put out another set of data, or I guess they just updated their data and it's increased the number of hospitalizations. They're saying, well, that's criteria. You know, now we're counting if someone came in for a sprained ankle and they ended up catching COVID in the hospital, we're counting that in the data. But the reality is that there's way more cases than they had accounted for. And as we move towards phase one, quote unquote, the testing the waters phase, which is supposed to start in eight eight days, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. and reopening, you get the sense that there are plenty of people here in the urban core, perhaps outside, that um, have not had the opportunity to even wrap their heads around what's going on. And that's just totally unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Absolutely. What about the what about the fact that I got tested myself? I've shared this experience. I was tested maybe two and a half weeks ago or so, and I was sent to the uh, CCRI site. I had some symptoms. It turned out I ended up testing negative. It was probably, but frankly, my doctor said it could have been something else viral or it could have been a panic attack, uh, mm-hmm. which is truly the brain can play tricks on you. But I noticed when I pulled in that the National Guard presence, it was unnerving to me, you know, uh, men in, in fatigues and baklavas and cones and signage and so on and so forth. And I remember when I placed my driver's license up against the window to verify who I was, I could see my hand shaking. Now I've been in, you know, uh, yeah. I, my, my wife's Brazilian. I've spent time in, in South America and, you know, I've dealt with, uh, you know, patrolling um, military police and so on and so forth. And to think that, that was happening in my own country, I couldn't ra- I couldn't even imagine someone who has immigration concerns or any other concerns saying, you know what, let me keep, let me drive into that site. So do you sense that we need walk-up testing, whatever type of mobile testing that is a softer type of interface that just saying, look, ICE isn't going to be involved in this. The police aren't involved in this isn't enough for a lot of, me- a lot of members of the dis- disenfranchised population to feel comfortable with the testing process. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I do know um, Department of Health had reached out to us um, several weeks ago to see if we would be open to using our location as a testing, a walk-up testing site. I think they ended up going with um, Bailey Elementary School on the south side, but they were really trying to target a, um, a walk-up site that was um, uh, familiar, uh, trusted, familiar, safe place for some folks. However, I do think that what's missing in all of that is, again, having information translated um, so that people know to, um, you know, what's going to happen or what they need to, uh, what they can expect when they show up at a testing site, right? Because I think if you're forewarned that this is what's going to happen and, and, but it's not, this isn't ICE, this isn't police, this is just, um, uh, soldiers helping, or I don't know what, how to explain it, but um, uh, I think that would have been really helpful for anybody, everybody, um, just to, you know, if you knew what to expect, then you wouldn't quite have been um, as nervous. And and I think, again, with the um, 
just the instructions in terms of, you know, when to park and when to wait and what to do. I think um, there should really have been um, signs in multiple languages put up so that people aren't um, rolling down their window by mistake and then getting yelled at by, right. uh, you know, somebody who looks like a soldier. No question about it. I mean, this is basic stuff to me. And again, I, this isn't to throw the governor under the bus and say, you know, they've done an awful job or she's some, but the idea is that I'm surprised that nobody, I'm sure someone thought of this, but I'm surprised no one said, let's get infographics made in whatever number of languages. Let's get, as you say, spokespeople in the communities and let's find a way to soften that. Even if you have military fatigue, uh, men and, and men and women in, in fatigues, but then alongside them, you have people in, in civilian clothes or doctor, you know, they're wearing scrubs or whatever it is just to soften a little bit. I found, I just personally found it. And I, again, I could see my hand move, you know, trembling like, yeah, Oh wow. Yeah. Am I going to do something wrong and end up in, you know, the military police here, you know, say I'm now I'm a bio terrorist. Right, right, right. Like, holy just, Moses. So call me off to quarantine because I rolled down my window before I should. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's totally legitimate. What, what would be your estimate of the number of languages that are spoken as the primary household language here in Rhode Island? Is, it definitely exceeds 50, right? Uh, yeah, it likely does. I know um, our pinpoint translation services has interpreters that interpret in um, 65 languages. So my guess is there's at least 65. Uh, we do translations in 85. We have access to 200, but I'm, I'm thinking of the, the folks we've trained um, because those are the most requested languages. Um, so I'd say uh, probably 65, if not more. I mean, there's some common languages. Many folks... Um, I find at least many of our clients are multilingual, so they may know, um, um, you know, um, Urdu and Arabic. Um, so translating in Arabic would be sufficient for those folks, you know, that kind of thing. But right, yeah. what's the most difficult? What's the most difficult part in this in in Rhode Island? You know, I grew up in South County. Then I lived in New York for a decade, and when I moved back I, to Rhode Island, I was in Newport, and now I'm I'm in Providence, and I mean, I spent my whole youth grow. I grew up, my family was also on Elmwood Avenue, so I'm familiar with the region, so to speak. But what's your message? Because I get all this feedback on my Facebook page from people in Westerly and people in, in Charaho where I grew up saying, this is a hoax, you know, there's no cases, that this is, you know, th- that there's no reason for this pandemonium and so on and so forth. Um, what's your message to those folks that, you know, about the community here in Providence that, hasn't even necessarily gotten the message yet about this this outbreak. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I've often thought there are two Rhode Islands, right? There's the yeah. urban Rhode Island and the uh, the more rural Rhode Island, and it really is two very different um, um, lifestyles or lives, if you will. Um, and I would, you know, it's interesting because when this first, you know, beginning of March. Um, first few weeks of March, I was one of those people saying, oh, what's so, you know, it's just like the flu, it's this and that and everything. Um, And I do think, um, I would say to those folks that it it really is real, um, that, um, you know, the the numbers aren't lying, that this is really happening. And yes, you know, um, one of the reasons you're lucky enough to be in uh, Westerly, where there aren't a lot of cases, is because we're locked down and we're social distancing and that kind of thing that, um, but, but I don't know how to get that across other than, um, um, 
you know, uh, uh, believing the statistics or be believing the, um, uh, I don't know, Mike, uh, if this is Mike, Mike, Bill. Uh, Mike, well, thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it. Bill, I apologize. Oh, it's all good. This is, these are busy times here. I mean, we're all, you know, the work you're doing the work that Dorcas does is, you know, it's critical infrastructure. So, I mean, no worries at all. You know, thanks for making some time here. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. So um, yeah. Mike was actually, so Mike, we're talking about, you know, how there's folks in Rhode Island that don't even really believe there's, you know, anything really going on here in, in terms of pandemic. And I remember uh, Mike uh, shared with me how members of the Cambodian community uh, were just like, you know, blowing it off. I don't know if they've changed at all. Have they, Mike? Oh, well, they started to change a little bit because um, at the second store, um, employee caught was tested positive. So now the Cambodian community are very, very, very wary about this whole um, pandemic. So they're, they're taking it a little bit more seriously than it first started. In the beginning, there was like, whatever, it's just another virus that passed through. But as they see that it's impacting their community a little bit, they started to take uh, it more seriously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what it's going to come down to is that firsthand experience and, and then wrapping your head around. And that goes for Westerly as well because they've had cases there. And, you know, there's a lot of cavalier, and I hate to single Westerly out, but I mean, yeah, they, yeah. That's, that, that is generally speaking the region that I'm getting this pushback from Westerly, Charahoe, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Exeter, West Greenwich, where there aren't a lot of cases, but there's also not a lot of understanding of the dynamic of the state. From, from your perspective, Mike, specifically, broadly speaking, with the Southeast Asian communities here and the lack of translation that, and, and infographics and interpretation that we've seen coming, I guess there really has been anything coming from the governor's office, has that had a severe impact on the delay in response that is inevitably happening right now amongst that broad community? It does. It does have a delay, especially um, until today. I I still not have seen one Cambodian community member stepped up to take charge of this whole pandemic. Um, it's just, there, there's, there's no one stepping up. Uh, I'm not sure if now they're scared or, or what it is. It's um, first the lack of communication from the governor's office uh, in their native language. And then on top of that, there's no one from the community, Cambodian community that steps up that they look up to for information and they're both silent so the community members uh, themselves are in a dark basically not knowing what's going on or understanding the uh, a little bit of what was said by the governor and then information are passed from one person to another person and then misunderstandings happens because of that initial misunderstanding and then it just spreads like wildfire um, so if we have more support from the governors where they take uh, these uh, ethnic group uh, and just appoint someone or at least have someone or encourage someone to step up and be a leader of that community, it will definitely help uh, the community members. And I suppose that would be the same for other communities of, um, of, of ethnic identity across the state. Do you feel like we need, I guess this is a question for each of you, do you feel like we need task force or a task force that is hyper-focused on outreach into various ethnic communities immediately here in the state? 
I would say that's a great idea if we could do that. I, I had hoped that um, Department of Health would have recognized, you know, the various um, uh, ethnic, the makeup, ethnic makeup, if you will, and to reach out to the communities. I was talking with, um, or we were on the call the other day, Mike, with um, um, providers of um, state agency, the, the Buddha state agency, and they were actually also recognizing that um, the state has been far behind in terms of really doing outreach uh, within the ethnic communities to let people know uh, not just what's going on with with regard to the uh, pandemic, the virus, but what resources are available in behavioral health and, and um, um, substance support. Um, so there was some acknowledgement that they're far behind and they were reaching out to us to find out um, how we could work together to get that information out. So uh, hopefully, um, uh, you know, if, if there were some sort of a task force that that was their role, I think it would happen much more quickly than, um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Mike. Uh, well, I've been in video conference call with the um, Highlander uh, hotline uh, every morning. Um, it seems that the number is going up uh, a little bit. Uh, they are trying to um, get the community aware of this um, available hotline. Um, they started by translating a few documents, um, but still it's just that majority of the callers are still uh, English speaking. And out of 106 calls that they received since it first started, only about 16 are um, from the Hispanic community. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and the other thing is that um, uh, a few days ago, I believe I heard the governor was saying that they have, they lack the ability of translating um, her her um, updates to different languages. Um, we have reached out to them, but unfortunately they have not responded to my email. Hopefully um, they will contact us and we'll be able to help them get the wording out to the community that are not really being um heard heard that's on the lens so so you you're saying you in the capacity through dorcas have reached out to the governor's office offering to create the translated version of the press conference or outreach whatever they're, they're calling it the daily announcement and they just haven't gotten back to you at all Right. I haven't not the governor's directly office directly I do um contacted the uh, the other department, um, I contacted my contact at the health department and have them uh, forward my messages, but none of them has uh, responded to my email. Wow, that's something that has to be brought up immediately. I'll I'll make sure that on yeah. the, on the press conference, I'll ask you know, have you heard from anybody that has offered outreach about translation services and see what yeah. they have to say? You know, um, I also I participate in the Friday afternoon uh, community partner calls with the Department of Health and the emergency management uh, folks. Um, and I did submit uh, information about our, our pinpoint translation services and that we we will um, translate materials or do interpreting if there's a need um, uh, and I also let them know that for uh, to get out to the other nonprofits that were doing the free translation of materials. Um, but I didn't hear, again, they didn't get that out to the network either. So I don't know whether they don't know what to do with it. I, I don't know what's happening there, why they're not responding. Wow. Thanks for mentioning, Kathy. I was going to ask if you mentioned that. 
But yeah, we are providing uh, free translation services to nonprofit organizations that is COVID-19 related. Yeah, that's that is shocking. I mean, it's 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 I know that they're overwhelmed, obviously. I mean, it's it's there's, yeah. you know, again, it's not rooted in evil. This isn't a, you know, what is she doing type of thing. It's just a wow. I'm surprised that's not a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my last uh, my last question for each of you would be: Where can anyone out there who is seeking information uh, about Dorcas or wants to get involved and sort of direct their energy or other people's energy and resources into the ethnic communities that have been left in the dark here? Um, this conversation: How can people get a hold of you? And what's what can other what can someone do if like? Here we go for the fifth time or whatever. Someone in Westerly right now that's hearing this and is horrified about this reality has that aha moment and says, okay, yeah, maybe our community, quote unquote, has a very minimal impact, but I want to get involved and, and in any way, shape or form help um, contain and, and also get information out in, in the state as a whole. Well, we always say, um, just in terms of how folks can help, uh, I think it is, it's um, getting the word out. Um, We are um, uh, delivering food boxes and, you know, those kinds of things. So we are still looking for volunteers. Uh, We do have uh, virtual volunteerism where uh, we're trying to make outreach calls, phone calls um, to uh, various of our clients and others in the community um, for a variety of ways, either to um, check in, see how things are going, let them know about um, uh, you know testing sites, and or uh, we've got a, a, a another group doing census uh, phone calls, letting folks know um, that the census is still um, uh, accepting uh, their, uh, so, so we do have volunteer opportunities as well. I think, um, and again, for those folks who are in the, in the communities, um, if they were interested in helping us help them, you know, uh, provide the resources for them to get out and let their communities know uh, to step up and take a leadership role, that'd be awesome too. Um, I don't know, Mike, you have some thoughts? For the translation piece, um, if anyone knows of anyone that is interested in um, translation that is COVID-19 related, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Kathy mentioned earlier, we can do it for free. Uh, Please visit our website, www.pinpointlanguage.com and click on the, get the translation quote, uh, translation request and submit the request uh, through that link. And again, it's secure, and we will do the translation for free. Yeah. And uh, I, I always forget to mention our website. So our uh, Dorcas International's website is uh, org, And there's all kinds of information up there, as well as um, if folks are interested in um, um, helping out, there's um, um, they can just submit a, you know an interest form, and we'll follow up with them there, too. Well, a sincere honor to have you on the program, honestly, and uh, keep up the work you're doing. And I hope that this reaches more people and uh, gets to the administration's office. And, you know, like if we're going to open up the state on May 8th, I mean, we got, we've got a lot of work to do this coming week. There's no doubt about it. And it's not, yeah. not going to be easy. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey, this is episode 200 of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Who would have guessed we would have made it this far together? Thanks so much for your time and attention, support. And remember, there's 199 other episodes there for you to check out on your favorite podcast app or ripodcast.com.